Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. Today I share with you the final episode of Season 3. I cannot believe how fast time is flying during this pandemic and remote work. Although this is the last episode for a little while, there are still two more ways for you to engage with the debrief before Season 4. Tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern, I will go live on Instagram with the handle devdebrief with Lisa Greer to talk about her book and answer your questions that you can send to me from this episode. If you can't join us there, I highly recommend you sign up via Eventbrite for our first ever Zoom event on May 20th. Tickets are limited, so don't wait. I will include the link in bio for signing up. Lisa Zola Greer is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, convener, and the author of the bestseller, Philanthropy Revolution. Over the last decade, the Greer Home in Beverly Hills has been home to nearly 200 charitable salons and events, connecting nonprofits with donors and the community. In 2020, Lisa was appointed by the Speaker of the California State Assembly, Anthony Rendon, as a commissioner of the California State Commission on the Status of Women and Girls. In addition, Lisa sits on the board of the New Israel Fund and serves on the executive committee of the Cedars-Sinai Board of Governors. She's also served as commissioner and chair of the Beverly Hills Cultural Heritage Commission and trustee of the Jewish Community Foundation of Los Angeles. Earlier in her career, Lisa was a studio executive at NBC and Universal Studios and she founded and led several companies, including a management consulting and strategic advisory firm specializing in digital media and entertainment business. Now let's get started. I can't wait to share Lisa with you. Hi, Lisa, welcome to The Debrief. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. This is so exciting. Esther Choi recommended me to you. She said, I must read your book and I loved it. Well, thank you. Esther's been great. She's been a great supporter and uh, we're doing all sorts of interesting things together. So um, so thank you. I really appreciate her making that introduction. Okay, so let's start with the book. It's called Philanthropy Revolution. What feedback are you receiving from the industry? And what I'm curious about too is depending on whether it's a donor or a fundraiser, are you getting different reactions? I am getting different reactions, but for different reasons than you might expect. Um, The reactions from the fundraisers are extreme, I would say all of them have been so far, extremely uh, positive. What I'm hearing a lot is people said that they, a lot of fundraisers say that they they thought these things, but they didn't feel like they would be responded to positively if they said it out loud. So they seem like, it, it feels like they've, they've, they've carried this with them, this sort of angst about, gee, can't this be done differently and can't this be done better? But they just never felt that they had uh, license to be able to say that um, to groups or, or even to other fundraisers. So, uh, so I think that this book has allowed people to just talk about things that they felt were there and then maybe enunciate them better. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think the reason why it worked is that um, I'm not just a donor, I was a major donor. And so it, or still am, but I made some very large gifts early on. And so I think it gives them the confidence and credibility that they can say, even to a board, if a board member says to them, why are you spending time with this? We wanna do it the same way. They can say, wait a minute, here's somebody who gave huge you know, sums of money, uh, who gave capital gifts, and this is her experience. And we think this is other people's experience. And then 
I think it's because you're almost like dangling the money in front of them that they people start to listen more. I think if I had been given giving you know five hundred or thousand dollars forever, I I don't know that I would have gotten the same results. But even if I had, I think I think one of the big pieces is that I was willing to talk about it and I was willing to name it, and people uh, seem to really respond to that. On the donor side, it's really interesting. They have told me, several donors have called, pretty much they have the same reaction when I hear from donors, which is, well, first of all, some donors are also on boards and also running nonprofits or having something to do with nonprofits or volunteering. So, so then they, they have that first reaction. But the second reaction that I hear most often is that they feel like I've created a, um, also sort of a, a kind of a psychological release for them. And they feel like there's sort of, a, it's a support group. And they a lot of them have told me that, they had always carried with them this annoyance about the way it's done and feelings about, you know, gee, I'd really love to tell that fundraiser that it could be done a different way, but they didn't feel that they had the ability to do that. But they also thought over and over again that they were the only ones, that they were the only people who experienced that. And therefore they didn't even want to talk to their friends about it. They didn't want to talk to anybody. The other thing I'm hearing is that people didn't want to be, they don't want to be thought of as, as donors as kind of whiny rich people. So they just shut their mouths. The last piece I hear is people said to me, and when I asked a lot of people, why didn't other donors write this book? Why haven't other donors spoken up about this? Um, they said it's just, a lot of them said it's just easier to hang up the phone or to just disconnect the person. Or say no. Which, yeah, and I find that really sad because I've said to them, and I, I interviewed, I don't know, a dozen people who said that. And I said, well, but that doesn't make it better. You're just going to keep having the same thing. And their answer was, well, there's plenty of nonprofits around. I'll just go to one that listens to me. So I'm hoping to stop that because if you don't know what you don't know, it's hard to make change. Would it be fair to say negative donor experiences? Yeah, negative donor experiences and experiences that make donors not want to continue giving to a particular organization or worse yet, make donors not wanting to give any more at all. And that's connected directly, I believe, to the reason why donor advice funds are increasing so quickly. I think it's 16% a year now. Uh, we're up to 100 $42 billion as of about six months ago, sitting in donor advised funds, and it's growing, 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 growing. So I, I originally heard, oh, those are just all people who are just not nice people, and they just want to get the tax deduction. They don't want to give to charity. And I don't believe that's true. Oh, I, I don't believe that. that. Right? But I have heard that many times, but I think that it's because they've had a bad experience. And one of my, and it's just too onerous and too difficult to play the game and sit across from somebody who's pandering and stuff. And so you just say, you know, forget it, I'm going to put it in here and eventually give it to my cat or, you know, some organization that's nice to me one day. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's really unfortunate. And what really concerns me a lot right now is with COVID and the number of, we've had a number of people uh, give who haven't given before. There's a number of people who mm -hmm. just, just said, I want to give a donation. This is really, you know, a major time in history. And I want to want to do that. But if those people aren't thanked or those people aren't made to feel like you know, they, they did a good thing or they, they hear about what it, where did their money go? Did it do something good? If they have any concerns about that, that they just, the money went down a rabbit hole and they'll never know what happened to it, then I'm really worried that they will be more people who will put their money in donor advised funds or just stop giving. Yes. And of course, we want to prevent that. You know, you open the book with writing about the overall drop in philanthropic giving. And I thought that was really interesting because every year what I'm hearing is more money's being accumulated, more money's being given away. My uh, theory um, and belief is that fundraisers have, have found that it's, and I think maybe it's human nature, it's easier to go back to the same people who've given you money, the same donors, and just ask them for a little more. Or the way I've been told, 
just give a little more till it hurts and then give more than that. People have actually said that to me, just, you know, make sure it hurts a little bit more. Like, and I don't think fundraising giving should hurt. I I just don't, but, but I have been told this many times, but, but I know a lot of fundraisers who believe that that's the way to do it as opposed to encourage new other people to donate. So what happens is the pie stays very much the same and you get some people giving more within it and some people giving less within it, but you're not getting all these additional people who are not giving. And uh, as I said in the book, when I first started being dropped into this world of philanthropy, I called my business manager and I said, and she represents a lot of entertainment people. And I said, will you just tell me like how much percentage of people's income do people give and what are the size of their gifts and how do they do that? And she said, yeah, but it's not the answer you think I'm gonna give you. And I said, what? And she said, most people don't give anything. And I thought, what? And these were like big directors and writers and producers and all this. I I don't understand. And she says, you give more than most people by far. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very strange. So that got me thinking, are there a lot of people around who just had a bad experience? Like I was saying earlier, like, you know, I'm worried about happening and they just don't give. So I actually believe that the size of the pie can be increased dramatically if we do things differently. So it's not about getting more money from the same people, although that's part of it, but it's really about increasing the size of the pie. I agree with you. And I want to quote you here. (laughs) You made a bold statement. I kind of loved it, even though it was hard to read. You said, people aren't giving as much because the process is fundamentally flawed, unproductive, and unpleasant. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, when you tell tell us what you mean by that, can you give us some examples? Oh, sure. Uh, About, I don't know, 2000 of them. So the (laughs) time frame isn't long enough. I had, I had an experience yesterday. I I always love to give people the most current experience. Somebody called and wanted to get, um, they wanted a donation of, uh, it was like, actually, in this case, it was a political donation, but it was, um, and the the maximum is, I think it's what, $2,800 or $2,900, something like that, right? And they asked me for that, someone I didn't know, but they gave me a big story. They sent multiple emails. They they called me on the phone. Please, please, please. This is going to be great. It's going to be, well, it's really important. And it was, they were well-written then. So they get a point for that because a lot of them aren't. So I said, okay. And I thought, you know what? I just almost just to shut them up and also to feel like, okay, I did something, whatever I'm done. And I sent them $500 and they sent an email to a friend of mine that said, well, she gave a little, and my my, my girlfriend wrote and said, oh, I heard you went after this friend of mine and I asked you not to, but I heard that it happened, but I, I did hear she gave you a donation. And the woman wrote back, this is just yesterday. Well, yeah, she gave us a small donation, but she has... Uh, hey, she, she could have, that's only, a, that's only a part of what she could give, or she could have given more. She should have given more. That's what it was. She could have, she has capacity to give more. That's what it was. And I thought, how rude is that? So like, I couldn't believe it. I just gave them the donut like three days ago. So those kinds of things happen. You know, when you have uh, recurring donations, for example, only people who give do recurring donations. And I've started to do recurring donations to lots of people. I give them, I think it's really it makes me feel really good and it doesn't feel, I also don't have to go through a big heavy conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe from the point of view of a nonprofit, since I've been the lay head of a couple of them, I, I, I know that having that ongoing um, consistent revenue is a really nice thing to have, right? But evidently um, only, let's see, only 14% of organizations prompt uh, a donor for a recurring gift. They don't even want to ask you to do a recurring gift because it sounds like a smaller gift. So people don't want to do that, which I think is just crazy because I mean, think of how many 
companies have done incredibly well and are worth billions of dollars because they have your credit card on file. So I don't understand why that's not happening. The other part that really makes me very sad and that, that, that is upsetting and onerous is that the people who give recurring gifts are almost never thanked after the third month. Uh, mm -hmm. You might get a receipt, but you may be from the credit card company, but that's about all you're going to get. And that's awful. I, who, yeah. who would want to do something where you're giving somebody's, I mean, what if you went to the, I don't know, the grocery store, you went to, to, to the, you know, Nordstrom and nobody said thank you? Well, I, I don't understand. Well, we said thank you to you, you know, last month when you were here, so we're not going to say thank you this month. What the heck is that? I think that's a problem. The other one is the one that, that for years has bugged me almost the most um, until a lot of these things is, is people sitting across from me and telling me like crazy things. I am not somebody who wears a ton of jewelry. I don't dress in super expensive clothes, whatever. I'm just sort of a regular person. But they will look across and so many times say, oh, that is the most beautiful blouse. That is the nicest purse. And I would look and think, it's not the nicest purse. It's mine. <laughs> it's a purse. But like, really, you don't need to do this. And I don't even know what the proper answer is, but they go through five or 10 minutes of this stuff. And, yeah, and it's uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I don't understand. And the other one I'll give you is on the thank yous, which is also in the book. I had a, a friend who she read somewhere that you're supposed to thank people 10 times. And I'm pretty sure she never read that, but that it's that she was told to have an encounter with someone 10 times if you're trying to raise money, something like that, which is also, I think, too many. But so we gave this large donation and I kept getting, they, they wanted to thank me 10 times. So I didn't know that's why they were doing it. So I kept getting, so I, I was thanked. It was great. It was nice, fine. I'm in the bulletin or whatever. It was something, they wrote something about it. Great, fine. But then they insisted I come to events where they would thank me and seven of them. So I had like young kids at that point and I had to go leave at you know, nighttime to go to an event so that I could stand and they could thank me. And I felt couldn't have felt more uncomfortable. And I, I, it, it was after about four or five of them, I said, I can't do this anymore. I just won't come. Well, there's a volunteer thank you event. You have to come to this one now too, because you gave. And it went on for months. And I just, I can't, I can't, I can't. For that reason in thinking about it, A, I think it's obnoxious and I don't think that happens that often, but it does happen. And so for that reason, I now suggest that every nonprofit, uh, one of the things that they do is they ask every donor how they would like to be thanked. Because some people really want it that makes their day to hear it over and over again. And some people are really uncomfortable about it. And why would you want to make a donor uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. And the reason why I think it keeps happening is because some people like to think, like to create a one size fits all. They figure it's easier to do that. So let's just come up with one thing that we think people will like, because most people haven't talked to donors directly about this kind of thing. They just assume, and you know what assume means. So it's just a problem. And I think that we need to parse our lists and we need to get to know people. And if we actually have relationships the way we claim we do on the nonprofit side, we say, of course, we have these great relationships with our donors, then these things wouldn't be happening. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you would know that that person doesn't like to be thanked publicly, especially over and over again. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It sounds like a lot of the examples you're giving are more from the, a smaller nonprofit lens. Is that right? Nope. A lot of these that I just mentioned really? are huge organizations. Really? Yeah. I, I, and that is, by the way, it's funny. I had one other person who said that they got upset and they said, clearly you only work with small organizations. Like, oh no, these are, <laughs> these are nationally, if not internationally known organizations. Yeah. So there are, um, it's, it's really interesting. It's, uh, it's, it differs depending on the organization. Some of them, I, I mean, let's say we talked about organizations that were, I don't know, 
10 to $50 million or more, uh, I have seen dramatic differences between them. And the pandering thing happens almost all the time. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're small or large. In fact, I think the large organizations do it more. Um, the thank you thing uh, is all over the place. I, I mean, there's some discussion now about people who, if you don't give more than, if you give $1,000 or less, I think it is, you get an automated like dear supporter email, which doesn't have your name in it. And um, people don't wow. like that so much. So it's, but their reason is, well, we're a big organization and we have limited resources. And so we have so many donors, we have to draw the line somewhere. So we, we just draw it there and say, dear supporter, thank you. Well, of course, as someone who works at a big university, I don't want to believe that this is happening, but this is why you wrote the book, you know, to lift the veil. Um, I, yeah. want, I want to highlight the story about giving the, a gift that you tried to give to a large hospital. Uh, this was Cedar sinai Medical Center, because I know that there are listeners who work at hospitals who work in medical. Tell us what happened when you called them and tried to give them a big gift. Right. I decided a, a little bit of a history of it. My husband's had Crohn's disease since he's been about 11. Uh, he'd been through lots and lots of surgeries, um, has a pretty intense case. And he said, when we first had money and knew it, or knew it was likely to happen right before our, the IPO, we both decided to pick one organization we wanted to give money to and, and, and tell each other why. So his organization was, he wanted to do something that was going to fund research so that people didn't have to have what he had and that kids at 11 years old didn't have to go through what he had to go through. So that was very clear. So he says, I wanna find out who's doing the best research in that. And so he wanted to go to Stanford because you think of them as research if you're in California, uh, but he'd had most of his, all of his surgeries at Cedar sinai Hospital, so which was local. So I said, let's just check with them first. Before we call Stanford, let's just check and see, do they by chance have anybody doing research on this? So I uh, made a few phone calls. I found out there, yeah, there seems to be somebody there doing something, but you got to call this guy and this guy. So I called the head of development, I think at that point. And actually, no, I, I, I was at an event and knew that the president, the lay president of the board was at the event. And I met the, the person who's since become a friend, but I, I met him and I said, hey, I want to do this. And you know, somebody introduced me. Uh, you need to make, you know, call this person at the hospital. So fine, it was like the number two guy at the hospital. So I called, but of course I'm not on any list because I hadn't been a donor my whole life and I'm not whatever. So they just, I did not get to talk to the person. I left a message. And then I get a call back from a junior person in the development department. They, they sent me, eventually I got to this guy and I think he was maybe a mid-level person in development. I don't know exactly. And he was nice enough, but it was very clear. He didn't believe us that we had any money and he could have looked this up. We just had, um, you know, we were, decided to do this, but when I had the phone call, we'd already had the IPO. It was public information. Even if we hadn't had it mm -hmm. yet, we would have filed with the SEC. It would have been public information. It, it would have been very easy for him to just go to Edgar Online and see what the story was. Okay. I've since found out, I've probably talked to two or 300 development people and none of them knew what, up till today, and none of them knew what Edgar Online was. So they didn't even know that they could go check. Now in the financial services business, I was getting calls all day long because they were using that as a database. And you know who's who's selling stock now, and who how much do they have? But these guys wouldn't even—they didn't even know how to ask. They didn't even—and as of, I don't even know if they know today or not, but maybe. But but they didn't even know how to double check if they were concerned. They just assumed, and, and maybe even if they knew how, they wouldn't have done it because they assumed that since I wasn't a donor on their regular list, uh, that you know Wealth Engine didn't have a profile on me, then I must not be for real. 
So, uh, so it took seven months for them to I, accept the money. Yeah. I will say there are certain levels of suspicion that we have when we get a call like that. First of all, because it's sort of like the dream, right? To pick up the phone and to find out that someone wants to do that. And there hasn't been that building over time. It's like, well, what's on the other side? Like you had mentioned Epstein in your book, obviously that's not you guys, but you know, you had a specific story, but I think it is interesting that there was a level of suspicion it is, and, and that's okay. I don't. I didn't mind that. I, what I did mind is that they didn't try to find. They didn't. I was. I was guilty till proven innocent. I, or I was. Uh, let's right. call it. I was invisible until proven real. As opposed to, gee, well, this might be something, but I do need to take a closer look. Why don't I do that? At that point, I was already on the board of our local community foundation. I mean, it wasn't hard to figure out. So right. it, it, there, it, there were clues all over the place. I wasn't hidden in any way. And, and like I said, the, the IPO information was public. So um, it was very uh, strange to me that that happened. So, so it, it did take, it took seven months for them to accept the money. And during that time, and, and this is where I differ, I will agree, this is the one area where I differ from other donors in that I don't know any other donors who would have stuck with that for seven months. I was going to say, <laughs> that's, that's pretty like, noble that you stuck with. Get it. And, and I, and I, I, and it wasn't like they were in touch with me. They kept, I knew what I wanted to do, but they kept saying, we'd have a meeting and they would say, okay, let's go, you know, meet this person or whatever, talk about whatever. And, and they would give, they even gave me a list of three different categories with different prices attached to them. I said, any one of these is fine. And let's talk about them more. And then they would disappear. So a month later I would call again. So that's how it happened. I had to keep calling. They never followed up with me. I had to keep calling. They, I would get a very, you know, simple response. And then I had to call back and say, can we please move this forward? Because, you know, my husband's getting really uncomfortable about this. And this is very strange. And you're our regular hospital. And this doesn't feel very good. Um, so it was, it, was, it was really shocking. And, and when you do that, back to what I was saying earlier, and you're a first-time donor, that was our very first big gift. Really our first gift of anything more than maybe $1,000 or under. Uh, it, it, I can just, I can only imagine that most people would have just said, forget it. This is too hard. And you've since remedied the relationship. How did you do that? Well, uh, we actually, the, the relationship with, once we did the deal, they were fantastic. So <laughs> once they saw the green, it was fantastic, right? So they really did an amazing job. We actually endowed a chair. So they did, I'm sure you know a lot about those. So they did a big ceremony. We met lots yeah. of interesting people. We got to do speeches. There was a video. It's even, I, I, think, it, I think the video might even be on my website. Uh, and it was, it was wonderful. And, and we were welcomed with open arms into the, onto the list or into the group. So it was fine from there and on. I did though, as I became friendly with those people and I felt like, they did want to have a relationship with me because the money had happened. Uh, I, I did want to make sure because I'm just that kind of person that they understood what I went through. So I told a few people about it, I, not that day, but uh, you know, over the next whatever year. Um, and as people, other fundraisers from the organization would come after me, of course, hoping for another gift, I would say, you know, I really need you to understand what I went through and this was not pleasant. So I was very uh, grateful and, and pleased when I found out uh, uh, as I was writing the book, I didn't know this till like seven years later. And by now I'm involved with them and doing all sorts of events with them and that kind of thing. And, and, and I have a lot of friends who were part of uh, this group of donors and, um, and development people at Cedars, but I, I wanted to tell the story. I thought it was an important story and it was the first thing that we did. And so 
I went to one of the head guys at, at Cedars and I said, I just want to let you know I'm writing this book and I really think it's important I put this in and I, I, I want you to know in advance and if you have really strong objections, we can figure out a way to couch it. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I thought you knew that we made this part of our onboarding process right after that happened wow. to you as we became aware. And there yeah. isn't a single development person who comes into our group and they have, I'm sure hundreds, that doesn't hear this story so that it never happens again to anyone else. And then he added a quote for the book, which was really sweet. So I, I felt great about that. That was just, you know what, it was a bad thing. They turned around. It also gave me hope that organizations can kind of see the error of their ways and, and make it good. And I'm very, very attached to that uh, organization right now as a donor. So it is possible to turn it around if, if the fundraisers listen and pivot. Not only do I think it's possible, I think it's pretty easy. I think you just have okay. to want to. Yeah, I, I think there's lots of little things you can do that are so simple that people just don't think about because they've been trained in this, oh no, we have to check them out and go through this whole thing and wait and wealth engine and, and ask and prepare it and have the other person there and bring the pile of papers there and have the lunch and do the phone call. Like when you just like wipe that away and you say, look, I just, this is a person who I think is interested in what we do. And I would like to talk to them as a human being. All of a sudden you just, you know, yeah, it's great to have some of that early education, but a lot of that education, the way it's been done is we, we traced it. I traced it with a, um, a woman who does uh, the history of philanthropy in, in the UK. And she traced this to over about 105, 110 years ago when these different, uh, the ways that this was taught was actually created. And it's been pretty much the same since then with some very, you know, slight changes. So, so we need to, I'm not saying throw everything out, but we need to really recognize that this is not 105 years ago, this is today. And people are actually really want to give. I mean, we now have, we have research papers that say that it gives you, it feels good to give, it feels good to volunteer. It, it makes people enjoy life more, all of those kinds of things. And, you know, so it's, 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 we don't all, we're not all that Jeffrey Epstein who expects something in, in, in return. In fact, there's always bad actors everywhere. There's bad actors in every side of it, but, but we need to be realizing that there's lots and lots of people out there who they just want to be treated like a human being in the same way that, you know, when, when people say to me, I don't understand why someone doesn't listen to my emails, doesn't read my emails, I sent it out and people aren't reading the emails. And so my answer to them is, you know what, and, and like the donors don't do this. And they, there's this big line between the donors and the fundraisers. And I said, well, look at every fundraiser I know is also a donor. There isn't a fundraiser I've ever met. In fact, there's hardly anyone I've ever met that isn't a donor. My kids, little kids are donors. They, they give something, they'll give away at a coat drive or they give something to PTA or they do something, but they're a donor. So a donor is not an alien. And if they are, then we're all aliens. So, mm -hmm. so it, we need to realize that these are human beings. And when I do this email thing, when people say, well, no one responded to this email, you know, they're just not interested. And I'll say to them, you know, send the email to yourself and tell me if you would have opened it. And, and, and then I hear people say, well, I'm not a donor, so it doesn't apply. No, you are a donor and you're a person. And if you wouldn't open it, then you can't expect somebody else to open it. Well, I think that's the perfect segue into talking about some tips. So that's the first one, you know, think about opening the email you sent as yourself. Tell us about your Twitter tip of the week. So we started doing these tips of the week about, um, about a month ago, and uh, my social, we, my social media uh, expert friend, and I, I wanted to be able to get these little things out there. And I write a blog, as you know, that has sort of a, a, a bit of an essay every week or so. And I, uh, and I have my book, which is sort of meant to be more of a long-term kind of thing. 
but I wanted to have something that was like, what can you do now that doesn't require a lot of resources? That's just a, a little, it's not a, it's not a tweak, but it's a way of doing something that you haven't thought about or doing something differently. And as I started doing them, I, I, it was funny. I finally sat down and did them and I had like 15 of them in like 10 minutes. And I thought, wow, okay. So they're all lined up and, but then other things are happening. Like I, um, I realized I have a bunch of these sort of you know, waiting to be, be uh, produced or, or put online. And we do them once a week, as you know, every Monday, but I was at an event. Um, actually, I've been to several online galas, online fundraisers, et cetera, and webinars as everybody else over the last year. And I was at one recently. And as soon as I was, as soon as I logged on, I got, I was, I was just there and it was fine. And I also, you get a feeling that, that especially if it's something there's 50 or more people that you're not, you're just kind of there, but not there. And you're not even sure you want your picture to show and you know, whatever. But I immediately got a note from somebody I knew at the organization said, hey, hi, nice to see you online. And I thought, oh, that's in really the cool. chat, right? In the chat, I'm sorry, in the chat, right? And that's all it was. And I did something else the next day or a few days later and somebody else wrote to me, hi, welcome, hi, I hope you've been doing well. That was it. And all of a sudden it flashed, I, mean, I thought, wait a minute, if we were doing this offline, somebody would be you know, in the, in the co cocktail area, walking around and saying hello and welcome. Somebody would have been there at the beginning at the check-in to say welcome individually. Everybody says welcome to the group, but not welcome individually. So then you're sitting here at home and you feel a little bit invisible, but, but, and so you kind of, so I think we've all had the feeling like, gee, would they really notice if I left or not? But when you have yeah. somebody who says, welcome, I, you know, I see that you're here. Thanks so much for participating, or uh, this is great. All of a sudden it's like, it's like, it's like a flash of electricity. There is a connection between you and that organization and you and that person. And it's so easy to do. So I'm now recommending that everybody does that. Yes, I love that. And you, you had told me that you recommended someone that they add a survey after someone gives to ask them how they want to be thanked, right? That's right. Uh, I, I remarkable results. Remarkable results. So I, I, uh, this was uh, one of my uh, blog posts about a week or two ago. And so there's an organization here, it's, uh, it's actually a synagogue. And they, so for high holidays in October, they usually, that's the big thing of the year. And they usually get about 1,000, 1,500 people, something like that over the course of a couple of days. But this year, because of Zoom, they, of course, it was online and they were able to promote it online. And they got a little over 30,000 people, something like that from all over the world. And which is fine, great, they watched it. But the weird part is a lot of them sent money. And they thought, well, that's interesting. They're not here. They couldn't come to our synagogue. And a lot of them were from like 23 or 27 other countries. And they, they didn't know what to do. So the, the head of development there is a friend of mine. And he called and he said, I don't know what to do with this. And you know, do you have any suggestions? And I said, well, uh, you know, what is it you want? And he said, well, I want to know who they are. And I want them to know that we appreciate their gifts. And, and he said, but I don't, it, normally, if somebody had given us money, we would say, come to the synagogue, come meet the rabbi, come meet the staff, but they can't do that because they live in, you know, Europe or Asia. So he said, how do I find out like who they are and, and how I should interact with them? And my answer was, ask them, just ask them. So he said, really? And I said, yeah, just do a short survey and just ask them. So he did. And he got a 70% response rate. That's amazing. Insane. Yeah. And including a, a, at least one or two people said to him, wrote back with money, sent more money and said, we're doing this because we didn't think that fundraisers cared about this information. We didn't think that they cared to know this. 
And I, that made me very sad, um, but it also shows that this, there's an interesting solution. I, I mean, 70% expense, I, 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 you know, open rate, no one gets that. So clearly that solution cost, I don't know, maybe it cost him half a day to put together the survey. And now he has all these people who are thrilled and, and thought it was amazing that this place in Los Angeles, even though I'm in, you know, Singapore actually, you know, cares what we think and what we want. And it also asked things like, you know, how do you want to be thanked? How would you like to be communicated with? You know, what what can we provide for you that will, you know, be, they were, they were interesting questions and people answered them and loved it. So I now am, I, I was a big believer in short surveys. Now I'm even a bigger believer in it. And I'm hoping you and your listeners will be too after you hear those kinds of responses. Yes, that's, 70% response is, it's an amazing response. I think that says it all right there. Yeah. So the five minute Google search, you know, we talk all the time about being prepared for our meetings, but you say that you found often people weren't prepared. Mm, half the time, maybe people aren't prepared. And they actually have asked me, I've had people, some, some really big organizations look at me and say, so how is that you, that, how is it that you became a donor or philanthropist? And I'm thinking, you could find that out in 30 seconds on Google. Like, why wouldn't you just do that? I don't understand. And it's an awkward thing to ask me anyway. So why don't you just find out? And I, when I, when I hear that, I think they didn't do their homework or they don't know anything about me. That happens a lot. And I'm not asking for great detail, just basic stuff. Who is this person? And when they don't know and they haven't done their homework, I immediately go to, oh, this isn't a really well-run organization. Mm -hmm. This is somebody who doesn't really care about me. This is somebody who's not gonna listen to me. And this is somebody who's, who's trying to get money from me as if I was a piggy bank. They think if they can just say some nice things, they can, they, that I can be a piggy bank because I think that a lot of fundraisers and, and uh, hopefully there's not a lot of them now and hopefully I can change this, but I think a lot of them would prefer that donors are piggy banks. And the reason why I say that is as opposed to an ATM, which I say in the book, but the reason why I say piggy bank is because I think a lot of fundraisers would find it much easier if a donor was an inanimate object and didn't talk back. And you could just smash the piggy bank because you know it's full of money, take the money and run. And that is the ultimate transactional description. And that is what we all should not want anybody to do. And you don't want anyone to feel like that. And I think you just asked, I had somebody this morning who already sent me an email who's calling their donors investors. And there's, there's good and bad about that, but I think a lot of it's good. I think having different names and that I'd like you to invest in us as we go on this journey together. That feels great. But what doesn't is, is when I have that piggyback feeling. So if people want to hear more of these examples as they come to you live time, as you bring them out, they can subscribe to your philanthropy 451 email, right? That's right. Yes. And uh, you can also go to lisagreer.com. And on there, you can see the links to the past uh, tips of the week, as well as to uh, where you can get the book, including signed copies, and also where you can uh, uh, sign up for the newsletter. So, and uh, there's also examples of other uh, webinars and things that I've done that are free that you can take a look at. So, yeah. Well, Lisa, I would love to end with my signature question, which is, what do you know for sure? Uh, I know for sure that people have feelings. And yeah, I would say that, that I, I know, 100%. And uh, if we want to attach that to philanthropy, I would say people like to know that their feelings are being heard. That's great. That's great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. Lisa's book is a wonderful peek into the donor perspective. Do you have questions for Lisa? Do you want to delve deeper into our discussion? 
Email me your question to devdebrief at gmail.com or reach out to me on LinkedIn. I will ask your question to Lisa tomorrow on the Instagram Live. I look forward to seeing lots of you on either Instagram or Zoom, and goodbye for now. Keep your eyes peeled in the coming weeks for an announcement with details on Season 4. Best of luck closing the fiscal year, and I can't wait to hear from you. Have a great week.